Super Talk Mississippi media production. Come see your locally owned and operated Linton Glass for all your glass needs. No matter what glass you need to replace, you can count on Linton Glass. Call us today at 601-835-4336 or find us on the web at lintonglass.com. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the story straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. It was back in 1992 in Barcelona where my guest today became a gymnastics gold medal winner on the horizontal bars. He also became the second American in his sport to win gold in an Olympics outside the United States. He also was the tallest to ever do so. A wonderful, spirited, and giving man that I've come to call my friend. Please welcome to In a Mississippi Minute, the golden child himself, Trent Demas. Hello, Trent. Oh, oh Steve, what an intro. How I'm afraid I can't live up to that, I'm, but uh, I'm going to try. I'm the king of intro. You know, it's part <laughs> of the deal. No, so, Trent, everybody, I always hear people go, Trent Demas, Trent Demas. I mean, you know, it's Azar, it's Azar. <laughs> so, what is it really in your in your family? It's the- it's Demas. That's what okay. we've always called ourselves, so that's what we go by. That's what we're going to go by then. We're going to do that. Okay. Now, where are you this morning, this afternoon, where are we at, wherever we are? I am in Denver, Colorado today. Um, this is where my new home is, just getting situated here after uh, moving from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So Albuquerque took a while to get out of there, right? We've been talking about this for how many years? Uh, 15 years. <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm a little bit slow that way. <laughs> I love it. Oh, man, I remember you telling We're going to sell our house, and we're going to go to Denver. <laughs> so, all right, so, Trent, uh, we're going to talk. Uh, I, I want to dig into uh, just the growing up stages. I want to know what it was like being a kid and when the switch happened. When you turn that switch and go, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to fly around all over mats and, and listen, the pommel horse, all those things freak me out because I like, you know, I'm not, I'm really good when I've got a lot of surface underneath me, but when you start, you know, give me a, give me that little bit of space, I'm going to fall off or, or, you know, all the flipping and all the, the strength, the, especially the upper body strength and the ability. I want to know as a kid growing up when it started. And then when did you decide that, you know, I'm going to go get, I'm going to go do this? Well, it all started uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where I was born and raised. And uh, we were homeschooled, both my brother and I. And um, we were some of the first kids in the United States. Neighbors were always calling the cops on us. <laughs> and uh, my parents did the homeschooling. And, but they didn't want us to be social invalids, which I'm not sure they achieved. <laughs> 
But um, so they wanted to get us into some sports. So we did karate. My dad coached soccer. Um, we spoke German of all things in New Mexico, um, wow. and we got into gymnastics. And there was a local community center called Wells Park uh, near our home, uh, kind of an inner city type of uh, community center. And we joined up gymnastics there, and, and uh, the coach there was just a really kind of a, he was a great guy, but you know he's loud and uh, boisterous. And uh, the first day he, he you know, we line up to, you know, to do our uh, uh, start gymnastics program, and he said, he said, well, what can you do? And I didn't answer. And so he yelled at me, what can you do? And I jumped up and fell on my back and just started shaking. And he said, well, you have a, you don't have a lick of talent, but at least, at least you uh, can, you know, you're willing to, to listen. So you, you might have some hope. <laughs> gymnastics uh, for me was just, I can't say that I loved gymnastics, but I really loved flying through the air. I just, I really just enjoyed that. My brother and I, um, and and I would say a, a tremendous amount of my success, um, I would uh, point to my brother and say, if not for him, I would not be where I am today. And uh, He's your older brother, Trent? He's my older brother. He's two years older, and uh, he is just, he's just a workhorse. Everything he does Literally, I know you, many people say I give 110%, and really you can only give 100%, but my brother can give 110% at everything he does. And uh, when you're around him, you just see how hard he works. And I didn't know any better, so I just followed him uh, throughout the years. And the, the coach that was in Albuquerque, of all places, we ended up switching from that um community center down to a regular club. The coach there was a former gymnast, not a good one, but an excellent motivator. He wasn't a great technician, but he knew how to bring people together together and get the very best out of them. Right. So year after year, uh, we grew up with about six guys that uh, just were constantly striving to be the very best. And it came down to discipline, um, personal responsibility, and just hard, hard work. And we didn't even know what any of those things meant back then. Right. How, um, so tell me, how old was all this? Where are you when all this was going down? Well, I started, uh, gosh, I want to say I started about five. Okay. And um, moved over to the private club probably about seven or eight. And uh, there was all these really great gymnasts. And um, because of my height throughout my entire career, I wasn't, I really wasn't very good. Um, I wasn't very flexible. I wasn't strong. It was really difficult for me to build muscle. Whereas my brother, who uh, is more of a, a, a typical body type for gymnastics, um, could build muscle. Many of the guys in the gym were just, you know, they were very strong as, as young athletes, and I could never keep up with them physically. So I had to learn technically how do you do skills? How do you do gymnastics? Um, or how can I do gymnastics in a way that makes me able to keep up with these guys? And by keep up, I mean these guys were like first, second, third in every competition. I was like tenth, seventh, you know. And I was just like, oh, okay, if I can just keep up, if I can just keep working, keep working, keep working. And um, I think the, the first time I probably realized that uh, that I could do something was um, the 84 Olympics. 
when I watched those guys. And I don't know if I knew I could do it. I just knew it was possible. And it was one of those things where you say, okay, well, if they can do it, why can't I? So Our boy Steve Lundquist was uh, winning his first two goals in 84. Uh, That's right. It, they had missed the 80 because Car, uh, President Carter boycotted the Olympics. So he was, <laughs> we always talk about how many goals he would have won because we both know Steve likes to have a lot of fun. Lunk the hunk, as they call him. And I've had him on a radio show, but just knowing that uh, he had to endure, or either SMU had to endure him for four years <laughs> and, then, and then him compete on that level. And obviously, he competed extremely well in all those world championships. I mean, he was amazing. But what what would have been if he could have competed? He you know at that when he felt like he was really ready. You know what I mean? And didn't have to yeah. wait those for you. That's got to be very difficult. So we're taking a linear road trip to the gold, and uh, you're not that good. We're talking to Trent Demas, and your brother is amazing, and and all this is going on. And there's guys at this. It just happened to be in Albuquerque. Where there's some where there's some competition, right? Yeah, the, the competition is a daily competition. Um, I mean, and that's how the, the coach structured it. I I don't know if I could agree with everything that he did, but he actually he absolutely extracted the very best out of every athlete, and there was just no. It's not like today. His his methods were iron fisted. You could not be late. I mean, right. To this day, I cannot be late to anything. Because, I, I mean, I was trained for 20 years, but if you are, you cannot be one minute late to practice. That actually, I think, lends, uh, lends to the concept that you have to have respect for yourself. Right. And you have to put in the hours. And with gymnastics, it's an individual sport. You can't rely on anybody else but you. You walk onto that floor exercise, you step onto the vaulting runway, you get onto parallel bars. When you screw up, you've got nobody else to blame but yourself. And so it's that's a difficult thing, and the only way to overcome that is by really hard work. And that's what the coach drilled into us. Personal responsibility, you're going to do this workout. And there were days where, I mean, the days would roll over. So if you didn't finish a workout, the next morning you had to finish last night's workout plus that workout. And if you didn't do that, then it rolled over to the afternoon. So you would just, you know, the whole thing just ended up compounding, and you didn't want to do that. Right. So... Right, right. We're talking to Trent Demas, gold medal winner in Barcelona in 1992, which is not that long ago. Uh, and, well, uh, absolutely not. Well, no, no, I know. We're in, <laughs> I love that. Stay young. We're in a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. We'll be right back. Round here, would I say go? Because I'm the coach. Hey, folks. If you're tired of being tired because your pillow isn't doing his job at night, give my buddy Chad and his team at OmniPillow a go. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy, and listen to this. They will donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal is to give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. You'll thank me, I promise. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com. Enter promo code Steve Azar. That's OmniPillow.com, promo code Steve Azar, and you'll receive 20% off with free shipping. If you ask me, there's no better pillow on the planet. In a 
Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Steve Azar, we are in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, because you know that's how we roll. I'm with Trent Demas, gold medal winner back in 1992 in Barcelona, Barcelona, and uh, he's taken a sort of linear path uh, from growing up as a little kid uh, and in Albuquerque, uh, where I've seen the biggest windstorm. I've had a show canceled because of this dust storm or sand sandstorm, I guess. Uh, before that rolled in that just lasted forever i remember that very clearly and uh also uh trent um uh, is homeschooled he's got the older brother which helps obviously so many of us know in our lives and sport especially um being the younger kid being around older kids uh and just letting them you know letting letting you hang around you just it just increases your chances to get better and stronger so Trent, all right, you're 13 now. Take me from 7 to 13. You you say you were one of the worst ones, but you love to fly. <laughs> you know, I just yeah, think that's so I, funny. So yeah. at what point between 7 and 13 did people start to notice? Because they have to start noticing, right? Unfortunately not. I, I mean, no, I don't think anybody noticed me for anything. I think I was just kind of like paint in the walls if I could have. <laughs> and I think that's really how I wanted to be. I was deathly afraid of failure. Um, hmm. I wanted to please everybody, but, you know, I think that my gymnastics career, if you actually looked back at it and say, do you see that as a success, your gymnastics career, I would probably say no, because my failures far, far, far outweighed the successes. Um, the, the, that it culminated in a gold medal is something else. But you take that out and say, okay, let's just take your wins and losses or your crashes or whatever. Um, you would say, well, that was a miserable, miserable, horrible career that you had in the sport. But again, I think that's one of the reasons why you have to do something because you love it. You can't do it for the success. You can't do it for the money. You can't do it for those ulterior motives because if you don't achieve those, then the effort that you put into it becomes worthless well you got to have blinders you're right it's, it's got you got to have blinders and i mean what i mean is you've got to take care of uh the passion and and what you're doing all that other stuff follows you know my dad always said look just write songs and and get better at that and get be a better performer and don't think about the money don't think about all this stuff and it's gonna follow it it'll follow it because you'll you'll be prepared and i think that there was a, there was another factor to it and that was that was my parents, and you know specifically my dad, and that and that he was a bricklayer. I mean, he's now seventy, going to be seventy six here. He still works every single day. He works six days a week, and he is. Wow. I mean, he looks like he's fifty. Yeah. And the guy just he's a he's a monster. When you shake his hand today, it's like shaking a hand of somebody who has on a a, a sandpaper glove because it's yeah. just so cracked and scaled and fingernails falling off. I mean, the guy is just a hard worker. And when you see that as an example for your family, and you know that everything you're doing is a privilege, um, like gymnastics, where my dad's showing up the day of, you know, working out of town and showing up the day of competition with a roll of cash to pay the coach for my brother and I to travel somewhere. Wow. You say, I can't, you know, there's a responsibility there that you just can't quit. And gymnastics honestly became like breathing. 
nobody ever asked me, hey, do you want to do gymnastics? Do you like what you do? Nobody ever asked me that. Right. It was just a matter of what it was that we did. We woke up, we had breakfast, we went to gymnastics, we came home, we did schooling, we had lunch, we went back to gymnastics, <laughs> came home, and it was rinse and repeat every single day. Wow. And that's just how it was. It, it, there was no option to say, oh, how do you feel? That was That never got asked. When did you notice, you know, you talk about your dad pulling out cash to pay uh, for you to you guys to to follow this dream and you to follow your dream. When did you did you notice that at at that young age uh, and appreciate I, it then, or is it something in the rearview mirror? No, I definitely noticed it. I definitely noticed it. I noticed my dad being gone a lot in in the eighties. There was just no work in New Mexico, uh, so he had to go. Well, there was in Albuquerque, and so he had to go and travel up to a resort town where there was some work, and he was gone like five days a week, and it was it was hard growing up that way you know right. him on the weekends and but i knew that that's just how it you know i remember going out as a kid and watching my dad leave and just being you know i can still feel that emptiness in my chest right right and you just know that okay I, and again i was a people pleaser so i wanted to go out and please my coach i wanted to please my dad i wanted to please my mom i wanted to do these things for other people i love that i just i just love that story I mean, you hear yeah. it so much that it takes adversity and, and separation in your case from the, your, the dad you love so much and, and him coming out with, you know, pulling cash out of his pocket to make it work for you. I mean, what a dad, what a mom to sacrifice yeah. all that time. Um, we're talking to Trent Demas, gold medal winner, 1992 Barcelona, did a whole lot more. But, but so we're, we're following this wonderful path right now of your life. And uh, and and just growing up. Okay, you're you're 13. All right, give me. Yeah, so you, you got to at some point it's got to start to click where you realize you're yeah. you're, you're dang good. Well, let me let me just fast forward a little bit. No, I you don't. We got plenty of time. Don't fast forward too oh, much. Okay. You and I'll run out of stuff to talk about. No, oh, we, we really oh. want. I'm kidding. You can fast. Yeah. Forward. Well, you know, I mean, my mom sat at every practice, every practice till I drove. Um, you know, and so those are those are the things that you remember, but. Then I get into high school. My brother starts driving. Um, I start to get better. But I'm a wild card. I mean, everyone used to say, oh, gee, you know, that guy could be good, but he's so inconsistent. But it wasn't the inconsistency that I was shooting for. For me, every single competition, and not just every single competition, every single time I went up onto an event in workout, I gave 100%. Right. I mean, I mean. So when you go out into a competition and you do that, you're going to mess up a lot. And that's what I did. And so, you know, our coach was... But you weren't afraid you know, to mess up, right? You weren't afraid. No, I mean... Yeah. No, because, I, again, I think that if you give your all, if you give everything you have and you mess up or you succeed, you know, the result is not what you should be in favor of. It should be in the effort that you put forward because a lot, there are a lot of things that you can't control. Right. But... I think over a long period of time, you minimize the number of mistakes and you get better and better and better until finally you you uh, kind of funnel everything down to a point where you've got a really good shot at, at um, you know, doing something great, which is kind of where I was getting in high school. I started to be pretty good. Now you're going and to high school, you're going to actual high school at this point? Yeah, I, we, we entered, uh, we entered, 
we entered public school system in I, in the seventh grade for me, and um, still training twice a day. Uh, school was pretty lenient with me, and and uh, then went to high school and uh, still trained. We trained at six in the morning and then at uh, three in the afternoon. And um, you know, I think during high school, I missed one out of every three days. Uh, so it was wow. It was high school, it's but my kind of high school. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, I, I was getting that international education. I traveled to Russia. I traveled to Japan. I traveled to South America, um, all over the United States. And I started to get a little bit better. And, and, and people did recognize that there was a spark of hope in me. Um, well, if you're traveling all over the world, you're, playing, you're, you're representing who at that point? I'm representing the United States as a part of their national team. Okay, so when did this, all of a sudden, we, you know, when did, so you got good enough, and I know you're, you're, you're being humble, or I, I get it, you're, you're thinking you're a wild card because you're, you're fearless, and, and you want to push yourself into being great. This is sort of the path to this, and I know it's got to culminate with that moment, you know, more than a moment. It's like a Mississippi moment. It's an Albuquerque moment, and, uh, um, but no, I know at some point it's got to all come together, like a golfer that wins the U.S. Open that comes out of nowhere, you know, or or the Masters or whatever, or you know, you know, you want that, you want those moments to be at your very best. When does that happen? And also on a stage, when the most pressure, and sometimes that stage with pressure to me brings out the best, and and obviously it did that for you. We're talking to Trent Demas, nineteen ninety two, tallest gold medal winner ever. And two people have won, had at that point outside the United well well had won gold uh, outside the United States. That's amazing. You're in a Mississippi minute. We're going to be right back in a second. But I got to make Trent play DJ as we continue this. Trent, we're, Trent, with Trent, I'm going to get this right. We are the birthplace of American music. That's how we roll down here. It's where it all began. Every multiple genre, popular genre of music was created, we feel, and we have proof uh, from all of uh, the people born on Mississippi soil. You get to play DJ. Do you want to hear some Jimmy Buffett or B.B. Uh, King? Jimmy Buffett. He's such a party animal. I can see you with your margarita right now. We're talking to Trent Davis. We're going to be right back here in the Mississippi. Night. Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Johnny Gunn, he's a guitar player. Making I'm Steve Azar. We are on the flip side, downside. We're starting to roll downhill of a Mississippi Minute with the great Trent Demas, uh, who has never missed, uh, maybe, maybe missed once. I can't remember at this point, but he has been a frequent uh, supporter, celeb supporter of the Delta Soul Celebrity Golf and Charity Event, where his golf game I hear is getting better and better with each year. And uh, we're, we're talking the road to gold. We're going to get to 1992. You're on the national teams. You're traveling all over the world. You're missing a lot of school. Obviously, I know you, how disciplined you are. I know you can keep up. You're very intelligent. Um, so you're so you're, you're rolling. At what point do we start seeing it come together and you start bringing home some medals, of, uh, uh, you know, in world competitions at, at your teenage Oh geez, 
uh, never. Come on. <laughs> Unfortunately, well, I, I, again, I was squeaking onto onto teams. I was squeaking onto the national team. I was squeaking onto traveling teams. I remember getting phone calls um, from the head of the USA Gymnastics uh, Federation at that at that time, and they would say. Uh, hey, Trent, uh, would you like to go to this competition? Uh, we've kind of went down the roster, and so-and-so doesn't want to go. So-and-so is injured, and so we're kind of at the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. Would you be interested? And I'm like, absolutely. Um, count me in. Uh, so, I, I, I mean, I was on the national team, but I don't – I mean, I definitely wasn't – I wasn't a shining star. And that that really changed after – uh, I went to college. I earned a scholarship to the University of Nebraska and followed my brother there. Uh, had my brother not went to Nebraska, I probably would have ended up at UCLA. But my dad kind of said, you know, brothers need to stick together and be together. And, uh, and so I followed him to the University of Nebraska, which was an amazing experience. And that was really the turning point with uh, a couple of those coaches that taught me how to take my athletic ability and put that into a framework that would teach me consistency and right. reliance, not just on myself, but a response, teach me that responsibility to other people. Yeah, to your teammates, was, right? To my teammates, yeah, to university, yeah. to um, something I would was, was completely foreign to me. And that year turned out to be one of the most spectacular years with a couple of really great coaches, Francis Allen and Jim Howard there were... Um, you know, I think they were Olympic coaches before that, and uh, so they were just spectacular. They had won so many national championships, so it was nice to be a part of that. And what I learned that year was consistency, consistency, consistency. Right. And um, that year, I became an anchor on the team. We win the Big Eight title. Um, I become Big Eight, uh, Big Eight champion on different events. And we go to the NCAAs, and uh, we win the NCAA championship, national championship, by one-tenth of a point off of our, wow. in Minnesota. And it was just one of the greatest experiences cold of in my Minnesota, life. just FYI. <laughs> That's right. The Golden Gophers. <laughs> yeah, the Golden Gophers, I know. Very cold. Even going through a tarmac. It's extremely yeah. cold. All right, so so what? Uh, okay, so you you all win the national championship your freshman year. My freshman year. Were you excelling in the horizontal bars at this point? Was it, were you starting to show that that was your thing? Yeah, I'd always been pretty good on high bar, um, but yeah, that is high bar or horizontal. Uh, Am I saying it right? Both high bar or okay. I mean high bar is kind of the, the short version of horizontal okay. bar. Okay. But yeah, I did uh, I did really well. I can't. Uh, I want to say I placed second in that in that competition and um you know i'm a little bitter about that uh i was a freshman and somebody who was a senior uh won so you know it's kind of hard to let a freshman win <laughs> an event when you've got a a senior but a little politics playing in there a little coaching uh voting on the wrong guy i mean i've seen it you see it all the time you think oh he'll he can win it next year <laughs> yeah you know college I, I think gymnastics is that way which is unfortunate um that uh, especially international where you've got the Russian judges and you've got the American judges and an athlete goes up from Russia, right. the American goes low, the Russian goes high, 
and then it averages into the middle, and then vice versa. When the American goes up, the American judge goes high, the Russian judge goes low, and it averages into the middle. I mean, it is so funny to watch judges. And, you know, as, as, as I just got to say, as a guy that viewed it, I remember clearly you winning gold when I was watching because I love the Olympics. And so you're right. You're going like, what was that score? You know, like, or in ice skating. You know, it's everything subjective. You just had to do it, and you couldn't worry about a judge. Well, you can't, again, because you can't control any of that. You just can do your best, and then hopefully the, the chips fall where they should fall, and you and you do well enough, and you just make it undisputed. That year at Nebraska taught me something that I hadn't been able to master before, and that was understanding how to handle pressure. Right. And the unity of responsibility between teammates. And so it was pretty spectacular. But uh, And then I think our national championships was in April. Right. I came back uh, to Lincoln, Nebraska, and was watching one of my former teammates uh, from Albuquerque in an international competition on television. I was like, holy moly. He was doing these skills that were... I mean, they were spectacular. And in college gymnastics, it was very conservative. You put together skills that are conservative that you can hit every time, but there rarely are things that are just over-the-top spectacular, which is a whole nother level. So um, I asked my coach, I said, you know, I'm thinking, okay, if I need to keep up with that guy, and in June they had the national championships, I thought, okay, if I'm going to keep up with that guy, I need to start training twice a day. My coach said, absolutely. So my brother and I go into the gym at 6 o'clock in the morning one week. The lights are on. The heat is on. Gym is open. But there's no coach in there. It's, so it's just my brother and I. And I was like, holy cow. So I'm like, I can't train on my, by myself. I didn't have the maturity to you know, train by myself. So I was like, okay, this is not going to work. I mean, I, I did it till the end of school. Uh, but then, I, you know, summertime comes, you go back, you train at home, you get prepared for the international scene. And um, I just happened to go to USA Championships that year with my private coach back in Albuquerque. And I just killed it. The same private coach that you had, the, the second coach of your life, right? Yeah, growing up. Okay. He was my longtime and, coach. And you kill it. Ed Birch. I kill it. I placed fourth in the United States, which was crazy. And I think what, what happened there was I got really strong. I was 19 at that point. I got very strong. Uh, I mean, there were workouts where before some of our other athletes would finish stretching out, warming up their bodies, taping their ankles, taping their wrists, I could go through five or six events and be done with workout before they started their first event. That's how consistent I got. Wow. I was just able to just blow through workouts and um but i still wanted that extra something and, and when i went back to albuquerque that coach just taught me all these great skills and i just killed it at national championships made the goodwill games a decision had to be made at that point and a decision that had never been made in u.s gymnastics do you have to quit before. college to go all the way well, I mean, at that point, it, it had never been done. Because oh, I was projecting. Delayed. I was projecting what you were going to say, and I, I always screw oh, yeah, up on no, this you're, show. you're right. Oh, that, okay. I mean, you're absolutely For right. For my listeners because, out there, I was right. I just wanted to know. Okay, good. For a change. Right. For a change. <laughs> uh, you know, the trajectory was private club, go to college, do your four years in college or five years, then make an Olympic team through that structure. 
So nobody had ever bucked that structure. But I just didn't think that I could go to school, be consistent, but not do the big skills in these competitions and not travel internationally and still make an Olympic team. And we were just two years away. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I could make, I don't know if I could go to 1996. So I made right. the biggest decision ever, and that was to leave a full scholarship. There was no money for me. Uh, I mean, how was I going to even support myself? So I became one of the first Olympic gym, Olympic athletes in the United States to receive any kind of private funding. In, in the early 90s, they changed the rules so you could receive money but right. not be deemed a professional. Uh-huh. So, and, um, Did that help you make your decision? Knowing that you could... No, not at all. It had nothing to do with finances. I mean, as the, you know, as the fourth best gymnast in the country, I think I was earning like $9,200 or something like that. Right, right. <laughs> a year. <laughs> so, That's I'm plenty. excited about it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it was a real change. Uh, it, but that first year back, uh, 90, it was pretty good. And then 91 was a disaster, an absolute disaster. I got injured. I, I was having some personal issues. Um, I couldn't get my head together. When you're in college and you have an athletic department and, and a coaching staff and you're taken care of, you know you've got a structure to work within. When you're out there in the real world uh, trying to create your own structure, where uh, it's just more difficult. And, and I just didn't have the, I think, emotional security, the mental acuity at that at that time to really focus myself the way I needed to be focused. And it got to a point where I called Jim Howard, who was the assistant coach at University of Nebraska, and asked him if I could come back to Nebraska. And his words were, I'm sorry, you made your bed and now you're going to have to sleep in it. No way. And I was just devastated but I mean I mean there was nothing he can do about that once you receive money you cannot go to the NCAA program and I had broken that rule and so I had to live with it we're talking to Trent Demas gold medal winner as we are going to get there we're in a Mississippi minute I'm Steve Azar we'll be right back In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We're talking to Trent Demas, gold medal winner, as we are going to get there. But struggling in 91, so a year a year away, um, what, do you, what do you think? What are you thinking? I think I'm not going to make it. I'm thinking I made the biggest mistake of my life. I feel like a failure. I feel like this is the beginning of a really bad end. And uh, they only paid the top 10 guys uh, national championships. I had a horrible competition. I, I missed a vault. And you do this round off onto a board and go backwards onto the horse. I missed the entire horse. did a one and a half flip to my neck. Yeah, and, I'd have done that uh, all the time, just FYI. I mean, I would have tried it, first of all, but yeah, I would have never landed anything. I would have missed missed the whole thing. I admire what you guys do so much because I just don't get it. (laughs) 
I mean, I don't feel like there's enough room on that thing <laughs> to do anything, much less jump around, flip around, land, stick landings. It's amazing the art form behind that. It's amazing yeah. the ability of balance that you achieved over this time. I, I just don't even, I can't comprehend it, Trent. I got to be honest with you. It's, it's amazing. It seems miraculous to me. Well, just on a landing alone, there's about 2,000 pounds of pressure per square inch. So you can imagine if your knee gets out of place or right. your hip gets out of place. Or even, I mean, I've had friends do simple vaults where they've landed and just lasted off, landed wrong just a little bit and snapped their femur. Right. And, you know, it just takes a little bit. It just takes for you to be off of concentration just ever so slightly, and it can be very serious. Very right. Serious. So you go, so, okay, so you fall to 11. Okay, you got to get me, you got to get me to when yeah, when the yeah. trials came because at that point well, are you still like not 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 even being considered in anybody's minds as oh, competitive no, no you're you're out i mean it takes six guys every four years and you have to earn your spot there are no you don't get so you didn't at that time you weren't selected so if the vault is an important piece because even though i blacked out i got back up and did the vault again yeah i didn't have any um I lost all my funding. I'm at home. I have $30 in my bank account. I'm looking through the mail one day, and I'm going, bill, bill, bill. Right. I see this envelope, and I'm like, wow. I'm like, what is this? It's a baseball bat, two baseball bats crossed with a ball in between. Open it, open it up, and out falls a check and a letter. And, I, of course, I pick up the check, and I'm like, wow, $5,000. And it says, Dear Trent, I saw you in the U.S. National Championships. I admire your courage. I hope this little check will help you achieve your dreams. Wow. George Steinbrenner. Who and was it? George Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner. Yeah. Get out of here. Steinbrenner. Yep. Wow, man. And what a great, well, how cool is that? Yeah, I mean, years later, he was quoted in the New York Times saying the best investment he'd ever made was in a, was in a gymnast from Albuquerque named Trent Dinger. <laughs> and I was like, holy cow, it's just so... Well, that just didn't even like seem that. like it's possible. And that just shows you all things are possible, right? I mean... Absolutely, yeah. So you felt... I, I'm wondering if all of a sudden you felt an obligation to him and everybody that invested. Did it, did it sort of light a fire? Did it... Did the focus, did it all start coming into focus? Well, what it did is it took pressure. It took off the necessary pressure from me so that I could focus in on what was important at that point in my life, which was just the training. Right. And it also allowed me to say, okay, you need to push all these ancillary things that are in your life. You need to push them to the outer circle. And you need to bring the things in that are really germane to what it is that you're doing and how you want to do them with a particular focus of making an Olympic team, which was just right. months away now. You know, it's amazing as I get to know and talk uh, through uh, through our uh, interviews and, and people like you that I've known for so long and uh, and the stories I get to learn and about you. I, get, I really feel like I really get to know you in these interviews, and that's been the great thing about being on the wrong side of the microphone for me. And the other side is is being the one to, to ask the questions and I got to tell you, I can't thank you enough for being on in a Mississippi minute. I don't know if there's anything left to say except for we took you all the way down uh, to to your gold medal, and uh, and what is how it changed your life and 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 how you're raising your family and 
I just think that this story is amazing and it's uh it's the American dream and you got to live it through hard work and adversity and making mistakes, learning from them and 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 winning gold. So Trent, we've had Trent Demius on today. Trent, I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you, Steve. It's uh it's always a pleasure to come out to Delta Soul and yeah, baby. um <laughs> and to be there with so many talented people. I feel like uh, one of the least talented out of the group because you just have such a diverse group of individuals from music to athletes to actors. And, you know, I always call myself a filler, a, a filler celeb, and I'm happy to be one, but I... you got to be kidding um, me. You're not even uh, close to that. You know, so I love that. That's what that, that's a beautiful party. That That's the same kid, the man now, that went through, was going through, okay, I got that. I did that. Oh. I'm, I'm toward the end of my route. Two more things. I got to land one, two, three stick, you know, all that. That's the same guy. You're still the same guy. You're humble. And, and, and sometimes humbleness, uh, is, uh, to me, one of the greatest attributes of being great. And I appreciate, uh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to make you guys come back tomorrow and, uh, and see how the gold medal actually happened with Trent Demas. Uh, sorry to be such a tease, but, uh, the story is too good and you can wait 23 hours to hear the rest. Thank you so much. You're in the Mississippi Minute. Later. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river, moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Hey everybody, I'm Steve Azar. We are in day two with 1992 Barcelona Gold. Gymnast on the high, what do we call it, Trent? The high... Uh, high bar. The high bar, as, as I call it, the horizontal bar. And uh, he's been gracious enough to go two days with me. Norbert Putnam was the only other... To accomplish that feat, you're in a Mississippi Minute on Super Talk, Mississippi, day two. Welcome back, Trent. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Steve. How'd your house closing go? Uh, well, I closed. I own a house. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a great thing. One. It's 15 years yeah. in the making. You've been you've been trying to move. <laughs> yeah. I love don't it. remind me. Oh, wow. I love it. I lo- well, it took that long for you to achieve your goals uh, in the Olympics. And just the story, I, I just feel like a bit of more of a rebel than I thought you were. Uh, and uh, and I love how you overcame uh, what you felt like were mistakes. And uh, we're, we're talking the road to gold. So you're less so, than a year away. Less than a year. I have, I start gearing up. I, uh, 
I go to good. I go to the Pan American Games uh, in '91, late in the summer of '91. We've got a year left. I'm in the training room with uh, with an a- athlete who's getting his his ankles taped, and the trainer says, "Hand me that roll of tape." So I handed him this roll of tape. But when I did it, I essentially had my whole arm next to my torso and grabbed the tape and handed it to me. He said, why did you hand me that tape like that? I said, like what? He said, put your arm straight out in front of you and turn the thumb to the floor. And he says, now hold it there. And he got one finger and pushed my arm all the way down to my waist. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, my God. He goes, he goes, are you trying to hold it there? And I said, yeah. He goes, you have some serious problems. You need to get this checked out. Come to find out I have two rotator cuff tears. That's what you want to hear right before you're about to compete. there was no there was no not enough time to do surgery so he said oh they said okay either you're going to have to train with the pain or wait another four years and I'm not waiting another four years so I go into rehab I'm you know I'm going to rehab in addition to training you know six to eight hours a day and I mean every single time I get up on rings I wouldn't even, I would just, I wouldn't get on the rings. I would just do my routines because it was so painful that every single time I would do a routine, I would sit down and just hold back the tears because I was like, oh my God. It hurt that bad. Pass out wow. Pain. Yeah. And, uh, but there was no choice. You either did it or you didn't. And right. That was it. Right. So I get strong enough. I'm probably 80%. I get to Olympic trials and uh, the U.S. Gymnastics Federation did something they'd never done before. They selected the Olympic coach before they selected the team. Now, there are 18 guys that go to the Olympic trials after USA Nationals. Like 48 go to U.S. Nationals, 18 go to Olympic trials, and they pick six to go to the Olympic team. So of the six of the 18 guys that are at U.S. Nationals, five of them are from Nebraska. So they, they say clearly the Nebraska coach is going to have somebody on the Olympic team. So they make the Nebraska coach the head coach of the Olympic team. Wow. So that, um, you know, it, it it didn't bother me at the time because I still wasn't on, but lo and behold, I compete. I'm vacillating between fifth to seventh to sixth to seventh to fifth to seventh. Uh, I finish up in sixth, and then on the last event, somebody falls, and I go from sixth to fifth. So wow. I make the Olympic team. So you're on. And how do you feel? Come on out now. It's like I'm watching a movie. So uh, it was a dream. Yeah. It literally. I remember waking up the next morning, and my teammate had been made the alternate spot, and I woke up and I said, "Did that really happen? Do we have to compete today, or did it already? Did it happen? Am I? Am, or have we made it?" They said, "You made it." Wow. Did um, you rub it into him at all? No, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, no. he had been. He I'm made kidding. the. Uh, he made the '88 team, and I missed the '88 team. Right. So I mean, he'd already been an Olympian, you right. know, At seventeen, I was just playing. And, uh, I was, I, I was yeah, kidding. I but, would, uh, I wouldn't rub guy. it in too bad. I'm just, I wouldn't. Well, do that. it's kind of fun to rub it in, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Point, <laughs> now we're I talking. I don't even think I'm mature enough to know to harass somebody <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right, um, so so now you're you're heading into the uh, you're training with the Olympic team itself, and you're still hurt, right? You're still injured. Yep, still hurt, still injured, um, but there's. You know, this is the Olympic Games, and right. so we go to the Olympics, and it's it's a seven man team, six competitors and one alternate, mm-hmm. and we check into uh, 
you know, the, uh, our, 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 the Olympic Village is on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, we have our, our little town home that we live in. There are, you know, everybody picks rooms and nobody picks me. And I'm like, oh, that's really, I'm like, cool. I, I look at it as cool. I get my own room. Right. But really, in that, since I left the college system, boy, it was just tough. Because nobody wants to see somebody change the trajectory of what has worked for decades. And so I just built up with the college. Everybody else was on a college team. Right. And so they yeah. just, you know, I just, and I think I'm just a much different guy. So Yeah, so you're um, sort of like basically walking almost, you're, you're, you're trying to be a teammate, and you are a teammate, but now you're sort of, does that, does that lift up your, uh, does it give you a chip on your shoulder a little bit, you think? Pardon the pun for your, your torn rotator, your rotator cuffs, but um, does that add a little fuel for you? Not at all. As a matter of fact, it, I, I begin focusing more on just having a great time. Because, uh, so I, uh, at the Olympic Village, I'm meeting people, I'm going out, um, I'm, I'm walking into every door that's open to me. Um, I'm just seeing and doing everything I possibly can, because I know that this is probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. And um, it was interesting, because one of my, my teammate, who was the alternate, got sent by the rest of the team to speak to me. And he said, Trent, the team wanted me to come to you and say that you're not focused on the Olympics and being a team player. And you need to come back in and spend time with us and be a team player. And, Did um, you tell him you were in a room alone? <laughs> no, no, I just, well, I, I didn't see it that way, but I said, I know, I know. okay, I'm going to make this effort. And I, I distinctly remember the, the six guys were playing cards at the table, and I and I came out of my room and I said, "Hey guys, do you mind if I, you know, can I play?" And the team captain looked at me and he said, "Yeah, he's like, if if you play, then we'll have an odd number of players. So I don't think that's going to work for us." And that was it for me. I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna create my own path. I'm gonna do whatever I'm doing." And the, the guys on the team were so focused. I mean, they were really focused on winning a medal. They wanted to outshine the 84 team. They were going to bring home gold. And again, I was just like, let's just go out, all out, every single competition, have a great time, because the experience is the every single day that I wake up, not the competition. See, I think your life along the way, your path and the story thus far, has prepared you for being at that moment that way. I just think the way you've had some rebellious moments here and there, uh, moments of you felt that were that were wrong decisions, and every one of them ended up being right. I really, I really believe that. I think that path you had to take. All of a sudden, your teammates are doing their thing, and there you are again, the kid that left school, the kid. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I, I think that this is just, it was all meant to be this way. I mean, looking back, it's got to be. We're talking to Trent Demas. We're going to be right back here in the Mississippi Man. My sweet time, babe mm. Well, everything you know I ever do When I'm away from you Is a waste of my time, yeah Hey, folks. In the market for new pillows? 
I'd like to tell you about who I believe strongly is the best pillow manufacturer made right here in the USA, my friends at Beds by Design and their amazing Omni Pillow. The Omni Pillow is made with a copper-infused fabric, and they use high-quality fabric. The copper has been known to be antifungal, antibacterial, and good for the skin. The OmniFlow is the foam in the inside. Designed by their veteran team, the OmniFlow is a one-of-a-kind product that is unlike any other material. It is a patent material that adjusts as the weight is applied. They combine that with responsive temperature control that regulates your body temperature as you sleep. OmniPillow has a 100-day return policy. And listen to this. They'll donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal? To give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com. That's OmniPillow.com. Enter promo code Steve Azar and receive 20% off with free shipping. You won't regret it. Thanks, guys. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're back with day two in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, now 120 of them, uh, with Trent Demas, gold medal winner. So, So now, all of a sudden, you get into your first rounds, your teammates are doing their thing, and there you are again. Um, at what point does the, the, does the guy start giving you high five because they're seeing it's working? Uh, never. All right, I'm not liking. Uh, I'm not liking your teammates right now, Jeff. Why? <laughs> well, it, it just didn't work out that way. I mean, unfortunately, gymnastics, at least at that time, um, I think it still does exist, at least on the women's side to some degree. But it is. It can be catty at times, and right. it can be very. I mean, people are training forty to fifty-five hours a week. Uh, right. They're giving up their families. It, when you get to that point, I mean, there's quite a bit of jealousy and but I, I think I'm just too young mentally and emotionally to, to really think about that stuff that's just how it goes and I said alright well I'm just going to do my best so after the first couple of days of competition they add those two scores and they put finalists so nobody on floor exercise with one guy on pommel horse nobody on rings nobody on vaulting one guy on parallel bars and I was on the high bar in the Olympic order horizontal bar is the last event there's a draw, just a random draw. And by the luck of the draw, I'm seven out of eight. So I'm the second to last athlete to compete. Always the best team. way, the best the best spot on a big concert and a festival is second to last. <laughs> second to last. All right. Now I even like it more. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, absolutely the best slot. We get to, we leave for the arena at like three o'clock in the afternoon. It's like a two-hour drive. We get there at five. You know, we warm up and, oh, my God, it lasted forever they did like two events then the award ceremony two events then the award ceremony it was after midnight before i'm in the practice gym it's after midnight before somebody knocks at the door and i still remember her name beth ruyak from uh nbc and she comes in and she's like trent how are you feeling and i said well i'm a little bit tired um but you know i'm still looking forward to this and she said great i you know, I just wanted to come back here and let you know that the, you know, the gymnastics is going to run prime time in the United States. And we've decided to do the whole show around you. Wow. Okay. Come on. Now we're talking. I was, I was 
stunned into silence. If I wasn't nervous enough, if I wasn't stressed enough, boy, right. that put me on edge. And um, I didn't know how anybody else had done on our team. And, and uh, I'm not joking. Five minutes, five minutes later, the head of the U.S. Gymnastics Federation comes in and he says, how you feeling? Yeah. Said, I'm nervous. But NBC was just in here telling me about they're going to make this show about me back in prime time back on NBC. And he says, don't worry about any of that. Just focus. Everybody else failed at winning a medal. So you're our last hope. Wow. And I just. I Good for them. No, I, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think I threw up in my mouth. Yeah, boy, that's what you so do. so horrible. Yeah. Um, so I walk into the arena. It's after midnight. Right. And uh, you get to, you only get to warm up at the beginning. So that was like five hours before. You get what you call a, a one-touch. You get to get up on the high bar, swing around for 30 seconds. And I did this huge move where you're swinging around the high bar in a circular motion. As you come on the front side, you let go and do two somersaults as you're still going over the high bar. As you're coming around the other side, you catch it, and you swing around, so you're still going in a circular moment. Unfortunately, I let go too early, and on the way down, I caught the bar with my chin. Yeah. Hit it with the stomach, chest, chin. And I thought, oh, my God. Woke you up? Gonna... Oh, it woke me up all right. <laughs> I just thought, this is going to be the absolute worst competition ever. Eight guys go. First guy come, goes from uh, Japan. He scores like a 9.712. It was a pretty good routine, but they're never going to give the first guy a great score. A couple other guys go up. Um, you know, scores are in the... And that's when we were on a perfect 10. Right. I mean, well, the guy's got 9.7, and that's not that good? Well, it's good, but there's still a lot of room. I mean, the judges leave that amount of room for the, the later athletes. Right. On this event... There are no American officials. There are no judges from the United States or from our region on high bar. The head judge was uh, Eberhard Ginger, who was from Germany, and the world champion uh, was from Germany. And so he was competing, and his name was Andreas Wecker. Andreas comes up, just does a spectacular routine, and does the same dismount that I do, which is a triple somersault. And you're winding up, you're going around that bar, you're building up speed, you let go, probably go six, eight feet in the air, and the bar is another nine feet, so you're a good 16, 70, 17 feet in the air. Mm. You do three somersaults, and you land. And he landed, and he took a step forward and scores a 9.812, uh, something like that. He didn't that. stick the so landing, so that little bit he of did move. did not stick the landing. Right, right. 9.837. Are you seeing the window? Are you seeing it open up a little bit for you? Are you getting all, you know? No, because I don't ever, I never watched athletes compete, and I never looked at scores, ever. So the next guy to go up is Grigory Masutin from the uh, Soviet Union. Excellent athlete. Um, in that Olympics, there was one athlete, Vitaly Sherba, who won six individual gold medals, but mm -hmm. he did not qualify on high bar. So this was Grigory's turn. He does a spectacular routine. I mean, he just killed it. And again, he does a triple somersault, lands, and takes a step back. He ties Andreas Vecker for gold thus far. Now comes Li Jing from China. China. I mean, a world champion. And he gets up on the high bar, and he does a, tr a double front somersault where he's supposed to catch the bar. And he misses it. 
So Ugh. he knows he's not going to win. No, right. He gets back up and just does a dismount. The judges don't even know how to, to judge it because he's missing all these, all these elements. So it's like five minutes. Now, to set the stage, the Olympic arena is huge. The high bar is on a stage by itself, and the judges are sitting at eye level to the bottom of the high bar. There's a green light and a red light that are to the left of the high bar. When the light goes green, you can salute the judge. So you're standing up. I was standing on that podium by myself because I was one of the only. I was the only guy that could jump to the high bar by myself because I'm right. that tall. And you know, I'm chalking up. You're putting this magnesium carb- carbonate, which is kind of like a chalk. But I'm so nervous that I can't keep it on my hands. My sweat is just, you know, it's just washing it away. I'm so nervous that I can actually hear my heart beating. Yeah. I can feel the blood running through my veins. And the score comes up for Li Jing, a 6.425. And what that does in terms of uh, the trajectory of, of scores is that you're, you're headed in a direction, and all of a sudden it breaks the rhythm. And the judges, it can confuse the judges sometimes. And usually you will not have somebody that actually can come up after that and kind of reignite that trajectory of the score progression. You have to ease in, maybe, maybe the judges. You, yeah, right, right. Yeah, you have I to get ease it. into them. I get it. And so, like I said, I never watch athletes. I never watch scores. So I always, like, go through my routine in my head, and I'm, I pick my head up to look at the bar to do that. And behind the high bar is this huge scoreboard <laughs> that says Grigory Masutin and Andreas Becker gold, and it gives their score. And I put my head down, and I thought, oh, my God, I have to score a 10 to win. So nervous, and I just put my head down and prayed and just said, Lord, this is, this is it. This is for you. I'm going to go all out. And I just jump up on that high bar, and it was like an out-of-body experience because I was doing these skills and thinking to myself, wow, I did it. I made it. And it came that big double somersault over the high bar. That you busted your chin on. Right, exactly. I busted my chin on in in the one touch, and I catched the bar, and I thought, oh, my God, I got it. And then I had two more release moves, and I thought, wow. And I remember winding up for my triple somersault dismount. And so to give you an example of how quick a triple somersault occurs once you leave the bar, it's one, two, three, open. One, two, three, open. That means when I count one, two, three, open, that means I should have left the bar, done three somersaults, and the floor should be underneath me. And I am winding up, and I let go of the bar, and I'm really close to the bar. Mm -hmm. And I do one, two, three, open, and I land, and I don't move. And if you go back to the video and read my mouth, I say, oh, my God. (laughs) That was the best I could do. And... um, I, you know, my coach and I are celebrating. We were waiting for the score, waiting for the score, and it was the best feeling because it was one of these old kind of ticker tape uh, billboards. You know, the, the they go, yeah, 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 yeah. Comes up. <laughs> so before my name comes up, all of the leaders on the board drop a spot. You just hear this, shunk, and I didn't even need to see that my name was going to be up there because I knew my score was next. And I ended up scoring an 8.75, a 9.875. I won gold, but there was still 9.875. You freaked me out a little yeah. bit. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. 9.875. So you put yourself in the top spot. Top spot. Worst one you're going to win is silver. Guy gets up, good routine, does his dismount, takes a hop, takes another hop, takes another one, 
so I know that I've got it. There's just no way. For every hop you take, it's a yeah. two-tenths deduction. He took yeah. two, so there was no way he could beat me. It was just to have that moment of thought where you think, where you just realize, I'm the best person on the planet Earth. Is it's a stunner. It really is just a stunner. Right. We're talking to Trent Demas, gold medal winner in Barcelona in 1992, which is not that long ago. Uh, and, well, uh, absolutely not. Well, no, no, I know. We're in, <laughs> I love that. Stay young. We're in a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. We'll be right back. Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Everybody, I'm Steve Azar. We are day two uh, with Trent Demas, gold medal winner, tallest ever in a gymnastic sport. He flew uh, some gazillion feet and he enjoyed it. Uh, off the high bar where he won where he won gold in Barcelona well I was going to ask okay at some point are, the team, are your teammates even around they're just they've left the building they're back in America no no my teammates are still there um, but it was it was really interesting going out with the for the medal ceremony yeah because um, Grigori Masutin comes up to me and he says Trent you are truly the, the Olympic champion and Andreas Wecker says he shakes my hand. He says, "You're good, but if I would not have stepped, I would have beaten you." <laughs> and I, I'm like, that is just so typical of him. Um, but it was, you know, just standing on the podium, watching the American flag, you know. Yeah. And it was, it was probably two years before that that I was at a competition and nobody could sing the national anthem. And I thought, I'm going to learn how to how to. I'm going to learn how to sing the national anthem. I'm going to learn every word. Love it. And so being on that podium, hand over heart, I knew every word, and it was just, um, it was divine intervention that I was in that position for sure because it was really, so many things came together out of fortuity and really beyond my will and my uh, intellectual base and emotional base that that's the only... Was your brother with you? He was. As a matter Love of fact, I, um, that was one of the things I really thought was important, because I remember making that decision to leave Nebraska, and he's the first one I spoke to. I said, Ted, you know if I leave, it's going to be really hard on you. And he said, you do what you think is best to accomplish your goals, and don't worry about me. I will, you know, I will handle it here. And for the next three or four years, boy, he was, yeah, he was really put through the ringer. And, right. and that is something I, I really have a disdain for, but, you know, you have to forgive and move on for certain things, but, you know, you're protective of your family. And, and I love my brother for where he helped me get. And so it was important for him to be at the games with me. Right. Um, but well, it um, always came full circle for you. That's where it began. It did. It really did. And, and, um, you know, I, I did get to celebrate. Uh, the team that actually took me out to celebrate my gold medal was the team from England. And um, those guys are, are, are still friends of mine today. 
and um, I love you know, it. it was uh, yeah well there you, you go know, that, just stuff I never knew and just the story I, I just feel like a bit of more of a rebel than I thought you were uh, and uh, and I love how you overcame uh, what you felt like were mistakes um, looking back um, I don't know if if I mean, maybe maybe you win three or four goals, and and maybe maybe you don't win any. So I don't think you'll ever be able to actually. Uh, we're not going to ever know that. So that rearview mirror is not going to tell us that. So I just think that it sort of was meant to be your path. Some of the pain you went through, not only in your shoulders, but physically, but mentally, and uh, and I think it just it brought you to that defining moment. You know? Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think that we all go through these different. Um kind of uh, chapters in our lives and and we don't know where they're going to end up but ultimately you get to use those you get to reflect on them and they change you as a person in a positive way or negative way but i think generally positive because experience is the one thing that can't be replaced right all right okay so i want to talk about cappy your daughter uh she's she's training right now and and you're watching her and you said she's she's got that thing right that you remember and you recall that you got from your dad and your brother and uh, just being around it, the, giving the 110%, uh, but she's in, she's involved in track, correct? Yeah, track and soccer, and uh, she's doing really well at both, but uh, track seems to be the one where she people comment, and the greatest thing about um, not knowing a thing about track is that I can just go to the stadium and watch and you know my biggest comment is run faster yeah (laughs) why can't you run faster (laughs) right no run faster I I don't I try not to coach her because I don't want any of that pressure it was one of the reasons why both of my kids I didn't specifically did not want them to be in gymnastics even though both of them wanted to be in gymnastics I just didn't want to have those expectations that they had to meet. Um, you know, 3% of athletes that come out of high school go into college, and only 1% come out of a Division One school actually go on to do anything else, much less hit the upper echelon. So the the, the rate of, of everything is just diminished, and, right. and I think that's a lot of pressure to put on kids today. Right. You, you think about uh, how many people get – you're talking six. There were six of you to go to the olympics <clears throat> the same thing with i mean with a lot of sports swimming i guess uh there's just there's not a lot of room so you're talking about the top six players in america to go compete that's just i mean that's a small little window it's a small little box i mean it's a it's a half a dozen eggs it's so it's i mean that's a that's a hard feat to accomplish so i, I get that now you know soccer's become a really big deal in america um, I can't quite get over all the noise that everybody's making. I don't know what they're saying up there in, in big World Cup matches. It's constant noise. <laughs> so I hadn't figured yeah. that out yet. It's the only thing that that I'm like, wow, they could, people can just go. Well, it's it's uh, we've been living in Spain for the last year in Madrid, and, and we've, we've uh, attended a Real Madrid game there in the stadium, and it is beyond sport there. Um, wherever you're born in whatever province that you were born in, you are a lifer. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, maybe the blood's in the crypts, you know, once you're in, you never get out because you are literally tied to your team. And I mean, they have a song that, that the entire arena sings before the event even begins. And it is, I mean, it really is a pseudo religion. 
for the Spanish. So what are and they? Many, what are they yelling though the whole time? I mean, you're talking about nonstop. So what's being said? What what could be said that long? You know, mostly it is um, they're they're singing just a, a traditional uh, soccer song, which is ole 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 ole, right. ole hmm. ole, and so that's normally what they sing. But then when uh, somebody will score, for example, in in Real for Real Madrid, there's Isco. Um, you know, when he scores, everyone goes Isco, and they just go on and on. I mean, it's a it is a just a revolving party and. And I'll tell you that the, the mood of the city is somber if, if Real Madrid loses. If they win, they are on top of it. And the World Cup is just about ready to begin. And, uh, right. Um, and uh, the Spaniards just uh, sacked their, their team manager, which is a big deal two days before the World Cup starts. So the uh, country is up in arms about that. But I'd like you know, to be uh, a, yeah. back, back to America. Um, it's very interesting to me as I as I, I coach soccer now. I try to stay involved with what my kids do, but it is fascinating to me that every weekend in these pee wee games, that every parent um, looks at their kids and and believes that this is the World Cup game, and the amount of pressure that gets put on those children, right. uh, I think is it's excessive. At least as far as I've seen now, you know, gauging that from a couple of different countries. But we seem to take it over the top that winning is everything. And winning is really, well, if winning is everything, and the majority of what we do is about losing and learning, then what does that say about the kind of pressures we put on kids today? Right. Uh, if you're not winning, then you're a loser. And right. I think that that is a bad uh, stage to set for a young person as they begin to make that journey through life. Well, I've never written a hit song off of any anything from victories. the the victories The victories were the songs that came from defeat. If that makes sense, you know. So oh, absolutely, you got to dig down. You got to make those mistakes, and you got to really be upset at yourself and be pretty go pretty far down low. <laughs> and then yeah. and then you get to write yourself out. You know, it's like I'm going to write myself out of this whole now but it takes a certain amount of energy to, to even get to that point we're talking to trent demas uh you're in a mississippi minute uh, we'll be right back hey folks in the market for new pillows I'd like to tell you about who I believe strongly is the best pillow manufacturer made right here in the USA. My friends at Beds by Design and their amazing Omni Pillow. The Omni Pillow is made with a copper infused fabric and they use high quality fabric. The copper has been known to be antifungal, antibacterial, and good for the skin. The Omni Flow is the foam in the inside designed by their veteran team. The Omni Flow is a one of a kind product that is unlike any other material. It is a patent material that adjusts as the weight is applied. They combine that with responsive temperature control that regulates your body temperature as you sleep. OmniPilla has a 100-day return policy. And listen to this. They'll donate a pillow to someone in need every time you purchase one. Their goal? To give away 1 million pillows. It also comes with a stress cube that sells for 10 bucks. Give yourself a much-deserved life's rest. Go to OmniPillow.com. That's OmniPillow.com. Enter promo code Steve Azar and receive 20% off with free shipping. You won't regret it. Thanks, guys. In a 
a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm Steve Azar. We're back with day two, downside, flip side of In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, now 120 of them, uh, with Trent Demas, gold medal winner, tallest ever in a gymnastic sport. He flew uh, some gazillion feet, and he enjoyed it. Uh, off the high bar where he won where he won gold in Barcelona uh, Trent uh, welcome I appreciate you coming back and spending all this time uh, I, I do want to talk uh, a little bit about uh, where wh- what are you doing now I know you're a very giving guy and I, lo- I know you that you're involved in philanthropy uh, your family's hanging out in Spain so what's going on with you right now oh a lot of things um, I have been uh, well I left my scholarship, as uh, we talked about a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and went off on my own, and I, I made that promise to myself that when I got done, I would go back to school. Right. And uh, after Barcelona, I trained for another four years. A lot of people don't know that I trained through 1996 and spent 21 years in the sport. Unfortunately, I just didn't make the team. I got injured, and that's how it goes. One small thing can just derail dreams, but the great thing about it is that I had already accomplished them, so I was just trying to recreate them in another year, but it didn't work out. So today, um, I've I've worked in finance. Uh, I've got a little bit of a law background, uh, but I've been raising money both for uh, private entities and philanthropic entities, and one of the entities I'm doing that now for is the Foundation for Clean Sport. And that's an entity that is tied to the World Anti-Doping Agency, which governs the global perspective of performance-enhancing drugs for athletics. So anything that has to do with um, steroids, anything that has to do with um, blood doping, uh, cycling, and it it crosses all spectrums from gymnastics to uh, track and field to football, um, both American football and European football, baseball, anything. We set the codes, and we're raising money because it's really underfunded. And it, uh, as we spoke about earlier, sexual abuse in the in the uh, sports world uh, is being dealt with as right. we currently speak. I think that steroids is going to be the next, uh, and performance-enhancing drugs is really going to be the next uh, big shoe to drop if, if the International Olympic Committee and other entities don't, take a step forward in um, doing something about it, it will damage their marketability in in, um, in that area and their marketability to television and other rights holders will end up being, um, well, it'll end up being diminished, but most of all, it'll be hurting the athletes because yeah. you can't compete against somebody that's using. This. That's amazing that you're involved and it sounds like it's a, a mission that's, uh, that's dear to your heart. I love that. If you're taking a performance-enhancing drug and you're in the mainstream, it's not going to take you to the highest level of athletics. But what's happening is those highest, those athletes at the highest levels are using, and it gives you that extra edge. And mm-hmm. in many respects, I can I can't condone it, but I can understand it. If you're coming from a third-world country and using whatever, might shorten your life by 20 years, but the life that you're going to have and your family is going to have is going to be pretty spectacular. On the other hand, by allowing that to um, to continue in a way in its current form, 
it is diminishing and destroying the dreams of all these kids that are putting in the effort and the time. And so what that says to me is that if, if the soccer moms who are headed to the field and headed to the gym and doing all these things for their kids come to a mindset of there's no reason to participate unless you destroy everything in your body, then they will just throw in the towel and say, we don't want to do anything. And sports in America right. and sports around the world will end up dying. And so that's what this agency and, and the work that I'm doing now is trying to put an end to is that we need to literally keep the dreams of kids alive and tell them that it's possible. If you go work hard and you're dedicated and you have a goal, you can accomplish it. Well, it's been great day two. I can't thank you enough, Trent, for taking uh, all this time. 60 plus 60 is 120. It's uh, it's not only counting one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. It's another one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. And uh, we, I've had such a great time. I, I, I just love your story. Um, I think it's a unique story. Uh, and just thinking about you talking about, you know, you celebrated with England team for your uh, when you won gold. I mean, it's just amazing, amazing what you went through. And sort of, you look like you were sort of a, I feel like you were a man on your own island and uh, you were able to deliver uh, with, with against all odds. And it's just been just great to, to finally hear the entire story straight from the gymnast's mouth. Uh, everybody, we've been with Trent Demas. Uh, you got to check him out online as well. Um, just his story and watch the videos of him winning gold. I'm going to go back and watch it right now. You have been in a glorious Mississippi Minute. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.